All right, James chapter 1 in your Bibles this evening. Pleasure to continue on in our series as we close out the first chapter with the last two verses that we're going to be looking at this evening. So as you are turning to James chapter 1, I ask you the question, do you like taking tests? Or maybe you are still taking tests. Or maybe you're more of like the assessment type. Like you like to know your personality test. My brother-in-law, he can't stand them. He, he'll, he'll push, we do them at work. He's not a big fan of them. Uh, maybe you're the more the social media quiz fan. So maybe your, uh, your thing is finding out what Winnie the Pooh character you are after you answer these 10 questions. And you're just dying to know which Winnie the Pooh character is gonna pop up on your social media feed as you look at that, or maybe it's we'll find out what kind of ice cream flavor you are. There's a lot of interesting assessments and quizzes that are out there, right? In our verses tonight, James has an assessment of his own for us to look at our faith and how it is shown. So let's look at the text. James chapter 1, beginning verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, as we look into your text this evening, I pray that we would have open hearts to receive your word, that we become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. So we see this non-productive religion that James talks about here in verse 26. And this verb here that he says, if anyone thinks he is religious, thinks or seems, focuses on appearance and not necessarily on facts. When we think about the context of who James is speaking to here as first century Jewish Christians, Christians who were faithful in their commitment to attend synagogue for services, they were faithful to pray, faithful to fast, and faithful to give of their resources. I mean, really, at the end of the day, we're talking about this room here, the Sunday night crowd of a service. Those that are, hey, I'll volunteer to do this. I'll help out in the nursery. I'll volunteer for this committee. Whatever I can do to help, they're going to get plugged in. But there's a glaring issue. Their spirituality is being overshadowed by their speech. James uses a metaphor here in verse 26 with bridling our tongues. Uh, the bridle applied to the tongue, such as a, a bit that controls the, a horse that we see referenced later on in chapter 3, verses 2 and 4, it also controls each one of us. The productivity of my faith and your faith this evening goes as far as our speech goes. Think about that for a minute. The productivity of my faith goes as far as my speech goes. Gossipers, slanderers, liars, those that hurt with and damage with their words will not have much to show for their faith. Those that discipline their speech for what Ephesians 4.29 says, only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Those will have grace-giving faith that is evident by their speech, evident by their words. I want to be a grace giver. I want to be a grace giver with Audrey, with Kennedy, Elijah, Jacoby, with my church family, co-workers, and community. And I know I'm not the only one in that desire. The question is, how's my speech? 
How's your speech? How would those that know you best describe the use of your tongue this evening or this past week? Are you taking heed to James chapter 1, verse 19 that we've looked at recently, that every person should be quick to hear and slow to speak? James says those that are tripped up in their religious efforts by their speech going unchecked have deceived their hearts. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 tells us that out our mouths speak from the overflow of our hearts. No parade of religion will ever cover up the truth of our hearts. Whatever facade that we put on on the front will never cover up the truth of what's going on in my heart because what is, is in my heart will find its way out in my speech. It's inevitable. James tells us that we have deceived ourselves and that this person's religion, very strong word here from James, is worthless. The Greek word for worthless here could also be translated as non-productive. Speaking of non-productive, when I thought about that, I, I, I went back to, in high school, I went to the doctor because I was having some problems with my nose. I wasn't breathing as well. So to loosen things up, I, they get prescribed a particular nasal spray for me. Never used a nasal, nasal spray in my life, you know, for allergy seasons and stuff like that. But I was like, okay, you just stick it up your nose and you give a couple squeezes and you're good to go, right? So I started using it a couple days, a couple weeks. Wasn't really noticing any change. Uh, didn't know quite what was going on. Uh, and then one day I was looking, I'm like, why did they even get this to me? It's not doing anything. I noticed that at the top of it, there was this, this blue shaped thing. There was a little gap and I was like, that could be a cap, could it? <laughs> so I messed around and because of, of squeezing, the solution it's just sort of bonded to the cap so it was a little harder to get off of than what it probably was if i would have done the right way the first time so i finally got off and sure enough hey there's a nasal spray this is one of those moments that i didn't tell a lot of people until tonight <laughs> but now you know my that nasal spray was was not productive for me and then i used it all up and sprang into the cap and so I had to go get another one but it, was, but it reminded me of just that aspect where just as my good-for-nothing, or so I thought, nasal spray wasn't dispersing the medicine that I needed to help with my nose due to this cap never coming off, never thought that I needed to take it off, and it was non-productive for me. The same goes for believers that their faith is suppressed by their corruptive, damaging speech. It's not productive. And it's going to be complete, it's going completely against the command that we saw last week in verse 21, to receive the word of God. And then verse 22, to be a doer of that word that you have received. Take action to it. External religious activity doesn't automatically produce internal spiritual growth and maturity. You could be doing all the right things. You could be signing up for as many committees and, and assisting and helping in the church as much as you can, but all those things don't produce internal spiritual growth and maturity. We have to guard ourselves, and we have to guard our words, especially is what James wants us to know in verse 26. And then we see verse 27, productive religion. If we looked at James's ending of verse 26, 
And in the start of verse 27, in the conversational way of James was just talking to us tonight instead of writing this, this epistle down and just speaking to us, I would imagine it would sound something like this. Destructive communication, it renders our faith and our religion worthless and non-productive. But do you want to know and want to talk about what religion truly looks like tonight? Religion that is pure and undefiled in the sight of God and Father? Because social action and personal holiness exemplifies being a doer of the word, which you just talked about a few verses before. If you're growing in Christ, your identity in Christ will radically impact not only your conversation with others, but your compassion towards them as well. Your actions and what you do for them, your care for them. So in verse 27, we see it as imperative that Christ's followers attend to the most helpless in our communities. The word for visit that James uses here doesn't just mean to, to see these people, to make a, a, a stop and to see them and, and feel good because you can check that off the list because you saw them. It's more to that. It's to also to take care of them. We see clearly from the Old Testament that God deeply cares for orphans and widows such as Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, says he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 146, verse 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. In Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10, don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And those are just a few examples of the Old Testament where God gives a special attention and care to those that are widowed and orphaned. So the point that James is making here is, is he's asking his readers this. Do you want to take a test? Do you want to take an assessment of how authentic your faith in Christ is? Well, what ways do I show care for those that are the most helpless in my community? Or do I neglect those who aren't like me? Do I neglect those that don't look like me? They don't dress like me. They don't have anything that... I can use to my advantage because let's be honest, that's sometimes something we look for. How can this person help me escalate in where I want to be in life and use them to my advantage? Do I neglect those that aren't like me because they stretch me, they get me out of my comfort zone? They're an inconvenience. It's not part of my routine. How do I not just visit but care and tend to the needs of the afflicted and the distressed around me? Am I putting faith, uh, feet to my faith, like we saw in verse 22, to be doers of the word? The way that I, you and I both care for the helpless of our community demonstrates the authenticity of our faith. If we are Christ followers, we will care for those in our community, those that need our help. And it's, it shows that my faith isn't worthless, like in verse 26, as some image and appearance portraying religion to those around me. The most vulnerable of society, widows, orphans, and others, have always been cared for by God, as we saw multiple times in the Old Testament. For us as believers, it's not an option. If I am a follower of Christ and a child of God, then I will care for those that need help. I will care for orphans and widows, for those that are in need and distress around me and in my community. That's what James is, is saying for us. But you know what? That's the gospel, though, isn't it, when we think about it? God is saying through this letter, do you help those that are una unable to pay you back? 
Sounds similar to what God has done for each one of us through the gospel, doesn't it? Because it's exactly what God has done for you and for me. He has done something for us that we will never, ever be able to pay him back for in the salvation of our souls. Loving us in spite of our sin. But the other condition that James gives in verse 27 is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, most of you know this, but for those that don't, so I'm in church insurance. So I work with churches with their insuring buildings, uh, liability insurance, things like that. So I get to travel all across the, the state and be in different churches. There's some really neat churches in the state, as you can imagine. Maybe some of you enjoy old cemeteries. Uh, there's some really neat old cemeteries in our churches. But one of the ones that stood out when I thought about this word here that we see in verse 27, to keep oneself unstained from the world. I went uh, to a church in, um, it's Span United Methodist Church. So it's in the southern part of Saluda County. So we're getting close to Aiken County, uh, Lexington County, and then Saluda. So it's right there in the middle part of the state. And this ministry was started in 1805. They had a fire and they had to rebuild their church. And so they rebuilt it in 1873. So the original building is very simple, but it's still there from 1873. The pulpit from 1873 is still there at the church even today. And it's probably hard to see exactly just to the depth of detail, but that is the sun coming through the windows for almost 150 years and it has deteriorated, it has stained the pulpit. You can see a little bit of the, of the original color there on, on the back end of it, but it just struck me of just over time and just that baking in the sun that that pulpit that took, took place, it has been impacted, it has been affected by its conditions. Thanks guys for showing that picture. With that, when we look at what this passage is saying, to keep oneself unstained from the wor world, it's meaning to have an untainted character, be pure and without fault in the sin-cursed world that we've been placed in by God. We're going to have the impacts and we're going to have the focus of this world upon us, this sin-cursed world. And just as that pulpit and it just eventually over time, there's really nothing that could help it. We have the spirit of God within us that as we are in the world on a mission to be ambassadors for the sake of of the gospel, to share our faith with others, that we would be unstained, that we would not be impacted and be changed by those that would be around us. I always find it interesting when you, when you go to maybe it's a restaurant or a store and you pick up on an accent that's not from here. You know, they just sort of, you hear an Australian accent or a British accent and like, you don't hear those that often. It just sort of sticks out to you. Or maybe that's just me on that, but it, you just like, and then as you meet somebody, there's a, a contact of mine in uh, Charleston that's uh, lived in Britain. They've been here for 35 years now. But that, that accent is still very thick. It has stayed with that person. Even though the southern draw, they're all around it. It's not impacted them. Maybe they say y'all with the British accent would be an interesting pairing of that. But it has not changed. They're, they're still them. And as we are ambassadors for Christ in the world that God's called us to, we are to be reflectors of God's light that has shown into our darkened hearts and to illuminate the dark world around us. We are to be unstained from this world. James' emphasis here is that for God to accept our worship, it must be accompanied by lovingly ministering to those that are in need, and we are to live holy lives. 
unstained from this world. So we see from these last two verses from James 1 that we are to demonstrate the gospel of peace by tongues bridled with humility, compassion to the afflicted around me, and keeping ourselves unstained from the sin-cursed world that we are to impact with the incredible power of God's glorious gospel instead of the world impacting us. So how's your assessment been tonight? Are you reminded that you never really enjoyed tests while you are in school? Or even now. I think one of the neatest things and one of the, one of the things that sort of brought a smile, I think, to most people's faces in school is when the teacher would say that you, sh- that you would have an open book test. Remember those? Like, oh, good. It does. I don't have to rely on my memory, right? I don't have to have all the answers here. But there was that part you did have to know where to find it in the book. So if you weren't paying attention in your reading, you were probably still sunk with that. But it was a, it was a guide. It was a help, right? It's going to aid you during the test. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So with the aid of the Holy Spirit, with this truth that God has given us everything required for all of life and, and for godliness, we have the help of God's Holy Spirit guarding our tongues guarding our actions, showing care to the the helpless in our community, assisting and guiding us. We're not alone. Not doing this by ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. So this evening, let's thank the Lord for his grace and help to be who we should be for him.